This morning from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. This is the Word of God for the people of God. This ancient book of Genesis makes this outrageous claim that humans are made in the image of God. That we are made in the image of God. So often I think we hear that or read it and we just keep on going as if there's nothing of significance here to be had. But this is a foundational theological concept for both Jews and Christians that we are made in the image of God and it has much meaning in terms of who we are and what we are capable of in our lives. There's lots of different interpretations. Many biblical scholars and theologians and pastors and preachers have written about this passage. For our purposes this morning, I'm going to stick mostly with what the monastics, those early disciples who once the Christian religion became the dominant religion or the official religion of the Roman Empire, wanted to put love of God and love of each other first in such a way that they moved away to focus exclusively on their discipleship and loving and praying for the world and the thing they did was emphasize this image of God and the importance for us understanding that so that we know we are beloved children of God made in God's image they emphasized that over against what others were emphasizing, which is that we are sinners primarily and despicable and unworthy of God's love. They said they want to emphasize this passage we read from Genesis 1 as helping us understand our primary identity as children of God and made in God's image. So as they began to ask questions about what does that mean, They wrote a whole variety of things, but to sum it up, they conclude that primarily the mark of the image is love. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image. So God created humankind in His image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, He created them. A passage of great beauty and equality 
And we stopped reading right there, but the very next sentence goes on to say, and God blessed them. And then at the very end of the chapter, it closes like this. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. These early monks said, we need to grasp this idea that we're a part of a good creation and that God sees us as very good, and that means that we're capable of having loving and meaningful relationships with each other, but also that we're capable of having a vital and loving and deep relationship with God, our Creator. And that God sees us as beloved, as lovable children primarily. Does that resonate with you? I really like that. That makes good sense to me. If you got to hear Dr. Bondi when she was here doing our lecture series recently, she talked about these different monks. She mentioned this one, Macarius, who talked about how God relates to humans. Remember, if you heard her, she said that Macarius said that it's like a baby who can not yet walk and yet is able to make noise and coo and cry and roll around a little bit. And so when the baby needs his or her mother, that's what happens. And then Macarius says, what happens next? He said, oh, the mother goes to the child and picks him or her up and strokes her head or pats his back, feeds him, tries to meet all of his or her needs. And Macarius says, that is the way that God, lover of humankind, responds to us. The loving mother always responds. And Macarius says, so does God. Anytime any one of us seeks or desires to be in relationship with God. Now these early disciples wouldn't deny that we do sin and that we experience separation from God and separation from one another. They would not deny that things often get messed up in any kinds of relationships. And yet they want us to remember that we are images of God. They read this passage of Genesis as revealing that we are capable of living in a healthy, loving relationship with God and our neighbors oh surely we experience sin they would say but why is that why do we experience this separation they wanted to go deeper and see what was behind that they asked what causes this separation in human life their answer was that we are wounded that all of us are wounded that none of us go through life without emotional hurt and pain and that as we experience our woundedness so often this image of God that's been placed within us at our creation they say gets distorted and twisted and covered up and often forgotten about and that so often we forget or lose touch or lose sight that we are children of God created in God's image 
I had the wonderful opportunity to be with Dr. Bondi a few months ago in a week-long retreat. After she talked about this idea of us being wounded and how the early monastics understood it, she said in her experience working with students for decades, teaching, being a professor, also being a spiritual guide, that what she often found was that at the head level, on the surface, students and people could understand, oh yes, we are created in the image of God. They could affirm that, they could write about it, but she said what she often found was inside they didn't really believe it. She said so often these wounds get clumped up in such a way that as you look at someone's personality and the multi-layered dimensions of that, you realize that down deep in their bones or at the core of who they are, they don't really believe that God loves them. They don't really believe that they're a lovable image of God because it's been covered up by the wounds. So at the end of that lecture, she sent us out and gave us an assignment. She said, I want you to take one hour and disperse from the lecture hall and spend the time in silence thinking about yourself and looking inside and seeing if you can identify the wound or wounds that perhaps are blocking you from the most abundant and profound relationship with God that you might have. She asked us a couple of questions. I've put them in your outline. She said, do you really know deep in your bones that you are an image of God? Or to put it another way, do you believe God loves you? deep in your bones it's worth some time this week for you to spend alone and in silence thinking about that kind of question i think you might find it very gratifying and helpful in building your own relationship with god and seeing if you can get to that place where you trust that god has created you and that you are a lovable image of God and that God is with you now and always Dave Bland is a professor in the graduate school of religion at Harding University he's written a commentary on this passage these biblical accounts he says emphasize that humans are the crown jewel of God's created order to paraphrase Paul, he writes, you are God's masterpiece. God created the world because God loves people. Let that sink in a minute. He says God created the whole world because God loves people. Dr. Bland goes on to write, what confirms God's special love for humans is that they are the only ones made in God's image. This is one of the reasons God insists on Israel not making images of the God they worship. God's image is already placed within humans, so no other kind of representation is necessary. As God's image bearers, male and female, are given a responsibility to have dominion over the created order. Humans are given dominion, he writes, not domination. They are caregivers, not exploiters. We do unto creation 
as God has done unto us. We express love and care toward the world. Being image bearers of God is also at the heart of how we see other humans, which results in treating them with dignity, regardless of race, age, gender, social, or economic status. We are able to express love, Dr. Bland is saying, because God has loved us and placed that within us. It leads wonderfully into the understanding of God's grace, that is, God's unmerited love for us. That great theological concept of our faith suggests that we don't do anything to earn God's love or God's grace or mercy or forgiveness. It is offered to us freely. God's grace is offered to us. God's love is available for us. It's the essence of the good news, really. God created you and loves you. Jesus embodied that in his life and death and resurrection. Sarah read us a long passage detailing how God, through Christ, reached out to people who otherwise would have been set aside and ostracized and marginalized. And yet Jesus says to her, I am here for you. And God will be with you forever. The living water will flow for you forever. Dr. David Urian is a pediatric neurologist who works with very difficult situations often. He's also a devout Episcopalian. and He's written a book about how his faith and his medical practice go together. In the book, he recounts several different families, cases, if you will, that he's worked with. He describes one where... These parents came walking into his office pulling a little red wagon. In the wagon were some pillows and some blankets and a child who could not control their limbs and whose eyes were sort of just roving around the office and did not seem to be able to focus. They told him that their child was diagnosed three years ago at three years old with an incurable disease and the doctor said, you should just go home and love your child. He's not going to last very long. But they said, here we are. It's been three years. He's still alive. It's not exactly a miracle, but it's kind of a miracle, but we're not sure what to do. Dr. Urian says that this kind of child would need constant attention and care and he said it was obvious from the time they came in that these parents had given such profound attention and attentiveness and care to this child and yet now they were bewildered about what was going to happen and what they might do dr urian confirmed the diagnosis there was nothing he could do medically to help and yet he said he marveled at how wonderfully they spoke about their child and how lovingly they would talk about their relationship. He said so much so that when this child would hear their voices, he would sort of just turn his head toward his parents. 
He said it was a profound experience. He writes about it later. I want to read you a little bit of his reflections. He said, despite my inability to offer any treatment that might slow or reverse the course of his disease, I was nonetheless offered a place within his community to acknowledge that we had done everything in our power for Adam and we could do no more and still to be welcomed as a part of his community, as a part of his family, was a great gift. Adam's parents accepted him, despite his limitations, as a full and perfect member of their family. And they accepted me with my limitations in the same way. It was an act of profound generosity. Although not using the language of the image of God. I think you can hear how that captures exactly this notion of God's grace being offered to us as a gift. But Dr. Urian says that's not the end of the story. He said there's several months pass by, and then one day in a totally different context he's having a conversation with one of his friends and the fellow says to him i heard the baptismal vows for the first time last week and dr urian says i've known this guy for years he's been a christian his whole life he's in church every sunday i know he's been there when we've done baptisms and so he says i looked at him with such a quizzical face he said okay let me explain he said, last week I experienced the most remarkable thing. We were at church and some parents brought their child for baptism and they were pulling him in a little red wagon. And he said, as we began to go through the baptismal service, we got to that point where they asked the congregation to stand up and say out loud that they'll do everything in their power to care and uphold this person in their life in Christ. And he said he thought to himself, do I really believe that? Am I really ready to make that promise for this child who can't even get out of the wagon? And he finally said, I decided inside, I guess I really do believe that. I think that man, the friend of Dr. Urian's, was able to catch a glimpse of the image of God in each of us, in all of us. It will be a holy Lent for all of us if we're able to catch just a glimpse of the image of God in ourselves and in all those around us. Amen.